Well, we are going through a sermon series in the book of John. Light in our darkness. Jesus is light in our darkness. He changes us. He changes everything. It might feel like with all that's gone on in the last several years, we need that light now, now more than ever. And it's not that our need has changed. It's that our circumstances have reminded us and exposed to us that we are so dependent on him. And this world isn't our end. We can't, we can't continue to, 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 to try to build up shop here and, 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 and dig deep roots here because this world's passing away. It's broken. Jesus is light in our darkness. There's, there's hope for now and there's hope for eternity through Jesus. We're going to be today in John chapter 8, a pretty powerful passage, pretty familiar passage too. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. So if you have a Bible or Bible app, you can go ahead and turn there. As we prepare here, as you go ahead and turn there, um, I've got a little illustration that I'm going to unpack for us in, our, in the message today. I'm going to need a help from a couple, couple friends here. So Ian and Andrew, if you guys could come up here. It's part of the sermon here today. Um, I'm going to be handing out rocks. Each of you to take a rock. All right, these guys are going to pass it around. So uh, I'll make sure everybody, everybody gets their rock. A fair share of rocks there. There should be plenty for, plenty for everyone here. And while they're passing out the rocks here, if you can handle it, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump into God's Word, okay? We'll continue to pass the rocks out here while, while we go to the Father. Here, Lord, we ask, Spirit, that you would open our hearts, it's powerful and profound truths here as you reveal yourself to us lord god as you reveal your how you love us lord god but also the corruption in our own hearts the brokenness in all of us father we pray that your word would be powerful spirit we pray that 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 you would move us let us see ourselves for what we are let us see you for who you are god let us be changed in your name we pray. And Spirit, come on me, your servant, broken servant, to declare your truth. In your name we pray. Amen. While the rocks are still being passed out there, I'm going to go ahead and read from our passage here today. John chapter 8. It's technically 7 verse 53, but John 8, 1 through 11. Now they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. Scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman's been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, it's commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, 
that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to press him and ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is one of those passages that, as a, as a, as a pastor, I get excited to be able to walk through together because it's powerful. But I'm also anxious to walk through it because it preaches on its own. And I don't want to take away from the power that's already working even now as you hear and receive this message. As you receive the rock, each of you, I want you to hold on to that. Don't throw it at me yet, okay? (laughs) Don't throw it at me ever. How about that? We'll just clarify that, all right? One thing I want you guys to know about this passage coming off, some of you who might be more attentive to detail may notice there might be some brackets around this passage, or there might be a footnote about this passage that says, uh, in some manuscripts, uh, they do not include this portion of scripture. Uh, In fact, in the earliest, most reliable manuscripts that we have of God's word, uh, this passage is not in the book of John or any of the gospels. It was a passage that was added later. What we've come to find and realize, while this passage isn't, uh, um, isn't on, uh, in the most reliable texts and such, it conveys truths. We, we wouldn't come to this passage alone to draw enormous, broad-sweeping theological conclusions about God and, and, and how we're to live. But it communicates to us what we believe are truths and, and situation, a situation that actually did happen. We have several circumstances or texts like this in the New Testament. You can see in the end of Mark, we have another passage like this as well. When, when we come to passages like these that were not in the most reliable manuscripts, we just want to be cautious and recognize, okay, we want to make sure we, we look at, at the rest of Scripture to confirm the truths in such passages like these. We just want to be very faithful and thorough as people of God's word, because, because we have a lot of skeptics out there who, who would use any, any form of excuse to be able to say, see, look, how can you trust and rely this on this kind of passage as truth and knowing it's from God? 
So as we walk through today's passage, you're going to see me draw in other, other scriptures to affirm the truths that are communicated here. As we come to this passage, it's located right in the middle of a context, uh, for those of you who've been with us, of, of Jesus teaching and, and communicating in this massive feast called the Feast of Booths. If you will, this insertion is out of place and out of time, right? It doesn't fit. Next week, in next week's passage, we're going to jump right back into that, that context that Jesus has been in. But what it does is that it fits here in that context in that Jesus has been calling out the Jewish people for hypocrisy and inconsistencies in their own judgment of themselves, of Jesus and others. Arrogance and hypocrisy, it's present. And so we come in this passage and we're set up with a scene here where Jesus is at the temple. It's a public place. Jesus is teaching to a crowd of, of hundreds, if not near a thousand at the temple. It's massive and people are gathered to worship together. There's many people, all right? It's a public gathering, like we're gathered here for worship now. And these Pharisees and these scribes, they're, 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 they're leaders who were responsible for communicating God's word, they'd be like a pastor like me. And they bring this woman in, and, and, and you can probably imagine hearing the clamor and the, and, and, and the rustling from a far away, and you're kind of, the crowd maybe starting to get distracted, especially those of us who, who get drawn away by lots of squirrels in life, right? Squirrel. And you can hear them coming. It's like they would come through the doors and bra- drag this woman and bring her right up in front of us, right up in front on stage to, to address me, if you will, if I were Jesus teaching to the crowd. You can imagine, feel the awkwardness of the situation, the discomfort. This woman is brought out in front of everybody. And they say out loud, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. What do you say? Jesus and the woman are both being put on trial in front of everyone. They said this to test him. We instinctively kind of have this this discomfort, this rustling within our own soul to know like this does, this feels wrong. This feels disgusting, icky. Like we know like what these men are doing, like this is, this is messed up. I, you know, who does this kind of thing? Who's so, so evil and, and cruel to do this? To shame such a person in front of us. In front of everybody. Have they no heart? We know it's wrong. But why? Jesus in in Matthew. Matthew captures Jesus teaching. uh, On what's called the Sermon of the Mount. And he explains in Matthew 7. He says. Judge not. That you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce. You will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? 
You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and, do, and turn to attack you. Jesus calls this judging. Do not judge. In the same way you judge others, it will be turned to you. What's happening here is these men are, are laying out a judgment against this woman. Jesus said, cautions us, why should we be so careful to judge and bring judgment on others? Look, they're wrong and they deserve to be punished. Because we've got to look at ourselves. Because we are, we, we, we are prone to being hypocrites in that situation. You see, when we look at the anatomy of, of, of judging, why is it wrong? When we break it down, there's three things we see here. In judging is shaming. When we judge others, we shame them. We don't seek to help them change. You just look down on them. You see, when we shame someone... What we do is we seek to change the perception of that person's identity and value and worth. You're an idiot. You're a failure. You're worthless. Did you see or did you hear about what Sally did? Or did you, did you hear about Josh and Megan? Did you? I can't believe Those Democrats or Republicans, those people. And all of a sudden, in our own perception, let alone what happens when we judge vocally in the perception of others, we're shifting the thought about that person. We're removing, reducing them from a human being to less than a human. We dehumanize when we shame. We take away their value and we identify them with their behavior, with their group or with whatever it is, with their sin. Shaming is straight from the pit of hell, friends. Shame is what happened to Adam and Eve when, when they sinned and they realized it and they hid and they separated themselves from God. In shame, we separate ourselves from others. They're not worth. They're, they're not good enough. They're less than. We silently remove, because we're Minnesota nice, right? We wouldn't do it so, so publicly. I mean, some of us do. Some of us don't have a filter, right? But we're Minnesota nice, so we're going to do it silently, you know? We just won't. We'll start to avoid them. We'll just ignore them. Or, we, you know, we like to, you know, share their prayer needs, right? Talk about them behind their back. Minnesota, nice, right? We shame. Judging is destructive. It's wrong because it shames. Satan is the author of shame. Shame does not seek to help and to seek change. Shame keeps people stuck. But it's also hypocritical. Judging is hypocritical, right? 
Jesus explained that. Judge not others. Because we've got what he called a log in our own eyes. Now, in the context here of this passage, Jesus had been explaining and addressing with them, you want, to, you want to kill me because I heal a person on the Sabbath, yet here's the way that you break the Sabbath on a regular basis. And that's just with the, the, the Sabbath. And, and the Sabbath, breaking the Sabbath, was also equivalent to the judgment of being stoned. But you see, when we get into this place of judging, we all of a sudden become uh, superior and blind somehow to our own struggles and sin. We have this double standard. Either my stuff isn't that bad or I don't have problems. You have the problem. You are the problem. There's this hypocrisy, this double standard. Did you notice in this text, where's the man? You notice how I said she was caught? Huh. How do you get caught and there not be two people? Huh? This exposes part of the problem of the hypocrisy and the double standards and how women were treated in that day and time. The corruption of, 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 of leaders misusing their power, taking advantage of this woman and her vulnerability in society to judge her, to demonize her, to abuse her. Where's the man? Judging comes from a place of arrogance. Somehow, we came to the conclusion that we're better. We're closer to God. We're good, they're bad. This happens in our homes, right? This happens in our marriages. This happens in our friendships. This happens with every group we're part of. You see, friends, we, we're, we're, we're instinctively supposed to think and react to these Pharisees like, that's horrible. Who does that? right off the bat we're caught because we judge the judges don't we did you catch that they're messed up they're wrong what kind of jerks are they those horrible hypocrites whoa watch out we are like these pharisees and scribes we all have this propensity and tendency to judge others. What changes us, what changes the circumstances here? So what Jesus points out, he says, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And Jesus goes right to the heart. That's what he does so well with us. The Apostle Paul put it this way in this verse in, in Timothy. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. Of 
You see how this changes things? How this changes us? When we have that humility and brokenness before God, when we realize and put ourselves at the lowest place at the foot of the cross, that I'm broken. I have no right to judge because I am the worst of sinners. If I have a reason to elevate myself above anybody else, pride, the seed of Satan is at work in our hearts. This is the Apostle Paul. This guy who had killed other Christians, but he, 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 had, he had become one of the greatest agents of, of God's mission in the world. And some might look up so highly to the Apostle Paul, and, and he's so amazing and good for God's kingdom, but he even says, I'm the worst. When we have that kind of humility, you can't, you can't hold on to a stone, let alone throw it. We've got no room to judge. We see the log in our own heart, in our own eye, and recognize, I need Jesus. I need to go to the Father. I need the cross and salvation. I'm broken. This changes how we look at people. This changes how we, what we say in our head. Because the smart ones of us, right, we won't say it out loud because we don't want people to know what we really think. But we still say it in our heads. We catch it. That humility, we catch. There's that judgment. There's that shame coming out. There's that arrogance of me elevating myself up and lowering someone else. Whether it's because of the sin that they're in, now, or what they're doing. You know, even if they're the greatest enemy, well, what does Jesus, how does Jesus change things? What does he say about our enemies? Love them. He doesn't say judge them, does he? Love them. He says bless them, in fact. Go beyond, bless them. Don't curse them. How does that happen? Or we put people into the groups, right? I mean, those people, whether it has to do, like I mentioned, with politics, whether it has to do with race or socioeconomic status or, or their, their type of work that they do, we'll, we'll shame people in all kinds of different stations of life or why they're poor. Why they're an addict, divorced. Living together for marriage. Maybe they had an abortion. Maybe they struggle with same-sex attraction. Or gender dysphoria, living a transgender life. We're like, they're, they're a special kind of wrong. And we judge, right? Because we haven't looked through Jesus' eyes at our own selves and realized we are the worst of sinners ourselves. Jesus turns to the woman. Notice how he just doesn't even give the guys the, 
these Pharisees the time of day. Notice how while they're, they're pressing him, they're asking him, and he just kind of gets on the ground and just starts kind of, you know, just writing in the sand. And they keep pressing him. Many people wonder why is he writing in the sand. What's he writing in the sand? A lot of conjectures come up like he's writing down their sins. We don't really know what he was writing in the sand. Jesus shows they're not in control. He's in control. And after he says, let he who is the who's without sin, be the first to throw a stone. Each of them drop their stone and walk away. Jesus comes to the woman and asks her, where, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? No one, she replies. Neither do I condemn you. Maybe you need to hear those words right now. As we get it, what Paul said, Jesus came to save, for, save sinners, and I'm the worst. Maybe for some of you, that, that's real on your mind. You're stuck in shame right now. You got messages that, that, that from your past, from your family growing up that was broken and dysfunctional, and they spoke to, into your life and infected you with you're worthless, you're dirty, you're ugly, you're broken, you're not wanted, whatever that may be. Or maybe there were bullies or other people in your life. Maybe those people are gone, those stones aren't there, but you picked up that stone and you're throwing it at yourself. We do that. Perpetuate the shame. You need to hear these words. Where are the accusers? They're gone. I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. And maybe you need to just keep repeating that phrase over and over until it breaks down the wall that's been built up in your mind and in your heart with the shame and brokenness. I do not condemn you. You notice, Jesus is the only one who has the right to throw a stone. And he doesn't. Jesus is the only one who has the right to throw a stone. And he doesn't. You don't need to be afraid of what you may be hiding or what you're stuck in. You can come out of that darkness into his light, into his love. His arms are open, and it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what others have said. But he wants to take you by the hand and lead you into truth and lead you into freedom. He has the right to throw the stone, but he doesn't. He's safe. He's good. Titus says this. Actually, not Titus. Paul. God says this through Paul in the book of Titus. But when the goodness and loving kindness 
of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. How, how much are you trying to, to do good things to cover up the shame? To just kind of wash yourself up and try to clean yourself and just try to offset the scales. You're, you're working so hard to overcome the shame, but it keeps coming back in that darkness. And those thoughts keep plaguing you and pulling you down and attacking you. You can't clean yourself up enough. He's done it for you. The one who had the right to throw stones doesn't throw stones. In fact, he was stoned for you. He's taken your punishment, the penalty that you deserve, on himself. He's good. He's kind. He's merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Friends, when we get, like Paul said, when Jesus came to save sinners of whom I'm the worst... And he's kind and good and merciful. What is happening inside us when we put this together? Your heart, our hearts begin to swell and we can't contain it because the love that God has for us, our hearts swell. Will you let go of those shame messages and receive the truth of Jesus today? Will you let go of the secrets you're holding on to and harboring and let go and receive his grace and his love and his mercy for you today. Jesus goes on and he says, Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. He doesn't stop there. Go and sin, more, sin no more. This is, grace changes us. What he's saying is, I've forgiven you. If you receive it, if you, if you actually let it come into your heart and receive, I've forgiven you, it's gone. That record is gone. That punishment is gone. There is no punishment looming over you. It's gone. I've forgiven you. Go. Live. Live. Sin no more. Grace doesn't come into our lives to give us permission to do whatever we want. Grace changes us. Grace comes into our lives and meets us right where we're at, in the mess, in the filth and dirt, and he loves us right where we're at, but it doesn't leave us there. Grace changes you, friends. When you let it come into your heart and your life, when you receive it, grace changes you. Jesus condemns judging. But he encourages accountability. We're accountable. He's going to call sin, sin in our lives. But it's not to shame. It's to set you and I free. It says this elsewhere in Titus. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The grace of God teaches us to say no because it says there's something better. He is better. He is better. When we've been so loved, friends, 
We've been so loved. We want to change. We want to change. So how does that change then how we relate to those who we see struggling with sin? You see, in judging, we separate ourselves. We distance and we hold ourselves up higher and we look down on that other person. We shame. There's hypocrisy. There's arrogance. But when we hold a person accountable, we hold a brother or sister accountable, we start from a place where we recognize, I'm broken. Let me come alongside you. We step towards that person rather than separate ourselves from them. We encourage them and come around them and say, let's grow together. I'm broken too. Let's grow together. Let's let Jesus change us together. Let's come out of darkness into light together. This isn't a a control. Let me fix you. That's what Jesus does. That's not what you do. That's not what I do. There's only one Savior, and we're not it. But if we love, Paul explains this in Galatians. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone's overtaken in any wrongdoing, you are spiritual. Restore such a person with gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted, but carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And when you're tempted to see somebody and say, like, how can they do that? Lord Jesus, help me pray. Go to prayer. Those stupid fill in the blanks. Lord, forgive me. Father, I lift them up. Pray for them. Pray that they would come to know you. Pray, God, you would help them in their situation. We get caught up in that, especially with the media, Facebook. We see these things, right? We're watching the news or whatever, and we just, we're just filled. We get filled with that, that angst and that arrogance of this world. And we're drawn and sucked into this place that invites us to just be polarized and turn on each other and just be hating and judging, right? We all know it. We scroll through and we see this like, what the heck is that? How can they say that? How can they do that? Are you praying? We need to pray. If they're a brother or sister here, friends, we're family. And if we see a brother or sister in a place where we're struggling, first pray. But then we need to be considering if this is a pattern and repeated thing, this is destructive in their lives, how can we love them? How can we show care by going to them? Not to fix them, but to say, hey, let's... Let's pursue Jesus together. I'm concerned about you. I love you. And, it, and if you don't receive it, you know, that's, that's cool. But you know that I love you and I care for you. Because they may put shame on themselves for being called out. Grace changes us, friends. Changes us in how we deal with our sin. It changes us in how we respond to others in their brokenness and sin. See, if we receive the grace of God, we can't keep holding on to that rock and our right to throw stones. Whether that we're throwing stones at ourselves or at other people, we cannot receive grace and hold on to that rock. It's impossible. We're going to go into a time of communion here. 
celebrating the body and blood of Jesus. And, and as we talked, Jesus was the only one who had the right to throw stones, but he didn't. In fact, Jesus, if you will, was stoned in our place. He took the punishment that we deserve. And we're going to receive that, friends. And the invitation is for us to come and receive. To be led out of darkness into light. As we receive that grace, we've got to let go of our right to throw stones. In communion here today, I'm in a special little little way of taking communion and, and putting God's word into action even now. As you notice, communion is up here, and we, we've got these little cups here. It's all inclusive. We've got the Jesus body on top of the wafer there and the juice. The thin tab, the thin, the thin film on top is the, uh, I and mean, we're all going to struggle with this. I can't get it. You'll have time, don't worry. The thin film on top allows you to get to the wafer, which represents the body of Jesus broken for you and I. And the cup of his, his juice is his blood that was shed for you and me, where, where, where he removes our record. There's no shame. He forgives us. And as you come up here to partake and receive the grace of God through the body and blood, this is a symbol of the true reality that we need to receive over and over. This is why we practice this over and over. We need to receive this. As you receive this, take it back to your seat and you pray over that. As you come up and get it, I want to encourage you, drop your rock at the cross. If you receive his grace, release your right to throw stones. If there are those here among you, among us here, who are, for mobility reasons, are unable to come up and, and, and partake in this way, we, we have um, uh, one of our elders here will come and, and bring to you uh, the communion at, at your place. Isaiah 53 says this. I want you to, us to meditate, meditate on this as, we, as you take the body and blood back to your seat. Surely he took up our infirmities. And carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Come. Come to the cross. Come to the altar today, friends. And receive grace. This grace changes you and me. But Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and release your judgment. Go and come out of that darkness, that shame, and that sin in your life. Go and live. Live with grace. We have the worship team come on forward here at this time. And uh, Dan, would you grab the basket there in the pack? If you have any needs for mobility and would struggle to come up and, re- and grab uh, uh, the, the cup and the, the wafer here, would you hold your hand up so uh, um, Dan can come and bring to you the, um, the body and blood of Jesus we've got over here, Dan? Friends, I'm going to pray, and the worship team is going to 
start off with, uh, with a song here, and then they're going to go into instrumental. And, and this is an opportunity for you to take the time you need right where you're at to engage Jesus in the cross, engage his grace, his love and forgiveness, to engage your, 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 your own struggles with judging others and your need to lay down that stone. Maybe it's with a particular person or a group of people. Let's not hold on to these stones, friends. Let's receive his grace. Holy Spirit, we ask you to work in us today. Thank you for your grace that you've given us. Thank you, O oh God, for this truth that Paul can say, not with shame, but out of joy. Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And the joy that that brings, knowing, God, that you, you love me in my worst. No matter what, God, you are so good that even me, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, would save a wretch like. Change us, God. Let us, let us be changed by your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.